Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Can't You See This Is The Land Of Confusion edition as Dave Lapham joins me to preview a hard NFL draft to predict. Two years ago, we knew the Bengals would take Joe Burrow. Last year, it was Team Chase or Team Sewell. This year, there are a wide variety of possibilities, and we'll discuss them before going on the record with our predictions. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play, next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since... Williamsburg Wildcats broadcaster Mike Fisher. My son is playing JV baseball this year, and last Saturday his team had a game at Williamsburg High School. When I got there, the varsity game was still in progress, and when I took a seat, I heard somebody doing play-by-play nearby, and he sounded great. His name is Mike Fisher, and he calls baseball, basketball, football, and soccer on the internet for Wildcats Sports Radio. It's obvious he puts his heart and soul into it, and his dedication is greatly appreciated by the Williamsburg community. So here's to you, Mike. It was a pleasure to meet and listen to you. Now, time for my final pre-draft podcast with Dave Lapham, which is typically one of the most downloaded episodes of the year, since everybody wants to know who Lap thinks the Bengals are going to pick. I'll tell you in advance that we make our predictions about 42 minutes in to an hour-long conversation, and we answer the questions you submitted on Twitter right after that. But Dave Lapham is one of the world's best storytellers, and he didn't disappoint when I brought up his draft experience 48 years ago. Lap, I want to start by turning the clock back to your draft. It took place in late January back then, 1974. There were 26 teams in the NFL at the time. The draft was 17 rounds, 442 draft picks that year. You were the ninth pick of the third round, number 61 overall. That would be a second-round draft pick now. Right. Did you anticipate what round you were going to be selected in, and did you have any idea of what teams were interested? I really didn't. I had no idea what teams were interested. But after making the, the rounds at the All-Star Games, after my senior year at Syracuse, played in the Blue-Gray game, the East-West Shrine game, the Hula Bowl Senior Bowl, played in all four of them. The way the calendar worked out that year, it was great. I was gone for six weeks, <laughs> traveling, playing football. I'm like, this feels like the National Football League. It, it was awesome. Won all four of them, too. I mean, we ran the table, so that was, that was good as well. And, um, you know, after I was done with those games, you know, I, I would hear from people that, oh, you know, you're, you're looking at probably somewhere between rounds two and five. There's a good chance you probably put yourself in that kind of a situation. The high end would be second round and low end would be fifth round. But I had no idea, you know, what teams uh, had the most interest because back then it was so different. I think it was done by snail mail. I mean, you'd get – Get, get these questionnaires from the Dallas Cowboys every three days to fill out information about the Dallas Cowboys. That that was the team that I got the most correspondence from by far. But I was hopeful, you know, being a Boston guy, would have liked to play for the Patriots. And I really liked the Rams helmets growing up, so I, I was thinking I want to be a Ram. 
<laughs> go out on the West Coast with Roman Gabriel. Huh. Well, I've heard Mike Brown say since that he remembers seeing you, and I don't know if it was in a Syracuse regular season game or if it was at one of those four All-Star games sure you were talking an about. Game, yeah. At an All-Star game then where he saw you in the trainer room or training room or in the locker room and just liked the way you were put together, thought that you looked like the way an NFL player was supposed to look. Do you have any memory of any contact with Bengals people? I, I remember seeing, after the fact, once you come to the organization, I remember seeing Bengals people, you know, there. I remember seeing Tiger Johnson. Mm. I remember in the one-on-one pass rush drills uh, at the Senior Bowl, I mean, they got right up on top of you. And it was because, you know, they would take 16-millimeter film, but there was no immediate, you know, thing that you could look at to evaluate how the guys performed or whatever. And a lot of, a lot of teams didn't want to wait for a 16-millimeter film at the end of the week. So they sent people there. And I remember seeing Tiger, you know, like now after the fact, I remember seeing him kind of up front um, looking at those one-on-one pass rush drills. And it, it really was. I mean, you felt like you were you were an animal in the zoo, you know. <laughs> you were caged in there, and there was a ton of pressure. And I remember just thinking, man, I just hope I just stay with your technique, do what you've been coached. And – I, I remember going against Ed Tall Jones. First pick in that draft. First pick in that draft. Yep. And uh and he was he was massive. <laughs> six foot eight. I think his arms were eight foot six. Mm-hmm. He had a huge wingspan. Um and, and as a tackle. And then as a guard, I remember going against Carl Barzoloskis, who was early first round pick of the Jets, played at Indiana, big Barzo. So it was uh, two different styles of guy. Um and you know, thought, eh, you know, I could Kind of held my own. I think I did okay, you know. So after the fact, all kinds of things go, go through your mind, overreacting positively and overreacting negatively. Um, but it, it was it was kind of like a who's who because I was I always prided myself on staying on top of you know NFL people as much as I could. And I you know look around and you see you know Gil Brandt over there, you know, and Tom Landry over here, and hmm. you know different uh, different people from different teams and organizations, uh, you know, dotting all over those crowds of people at those practices. The Senior Bowl was the one. I mean, the others had their share of people, but the Senior Bowl was packed with that, mm. kind, of, that kind of stuff. The draft wasn't televised in 1974. The first year it was on TV on ESPN was 1980. Cell phones obviously didn't exist back then. So you've described to me before how you got the call on a payphone in the dorm at Syracuse University. Who, who made that phone call? Who was on the other end of the line? Bill Tiger Johnson. Yep, Tiger, uh, he, gave me the, he gave me the call and said, uh, you know, congratulations. We just took you with the 61st pick in the draft. Um, we're flying you out here tomorrow. You better be in decent shape. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They basically flew. We're going to fly you out to, quote, meet the media, the local media, and um, met the local media for – 15 or 20 minutes, then went out on the field, shorts, T-shirt, and and uh, he, he just did a, a thorough workout um, to find out a little bit more about, you know, have, have me pulling, going through, like, obstacle course type things, almost like the three-cone drill that hmm. that's in existence now. And I uh, just wanted to see, like, more overall athletic ability and all that sort of thing. And then we had our, our uh, first, you know, rookie mini camp, and then the veterans came, in the last couple of days of that, and it was literally full contact without helmets or pads. I mean, wow. they, they were coming after the rooks, you know, to, to, to test you out, see mm. see what kind of uh, player you were going to be and if you could 
if you're going to whine and moan and complain or if you're going to just come back for more or whatever. So it was, uh, it was an indoctrination for sure. And your college buddies at the Qs did not leave you in good shape between getting the news that you were drafted and that Tiger Johnson workout the next day. No, I was, I was a hurting unit. I mean, my older brother came up for the draft, and uh, my college roommate and a bunch of guys in the team, you know, shots. You know, we was taking shots, shots. I was, I was struggling the next day, struggling to get up. And uh, my older brother basically made sure I got to, got on the plane because if I had missed that plane, I would have been in bad bad uh, trouble. But I got on that plane, and the flight attendant saw I was in bad shape, knew mm-hmm. I was a hurting unit, and she graciously gave me a six pack of Coca Cola. She <laughs> said, I, "She said I think you might need these. <laughs> she, you, you look like you need to have something to try to settle your stomach and everything down." I said, "Oh, bless you, thank you." I, I probably drank three of them. On the flight out, I was I was hurting unit, man. So as I mentioned, 17 rounds in the draft back in 1974. The Bengals actually had 22 picks in your draft. What was it like when 22 guys showed up after being selected in the draft? Yeah, I mean, I thought, is this our team? <laughs> they just drafted a whole team. <laughs> it, it was it was incredible. Um, there there were a lot of bodies that were run through at that point in time, and um, there were. There weren't many college free agents because, you know, what the heck? You got 22 draft picks. So there weren't any guys, not that many guys, that came uh, after the draft to come and try out 17 rounds. Like you said, well over 400 guys. I'm not sure there were many guys many guys left. But, yeah, it was such a different animal, such a different day back then. And one more thing about, uh, you know, working out with Tiger. You know, he wanted to tie me in the 40 again see how it, how it compared and I said uh coach I, I gotta confess that I uh I had a long night last night he goes you had a long night what do you mean I saw I celebrated with my friends and family after the draft and I, I overindulged and and I, I was up late are you an alcoholic was his first <laughs> word he goes do we need to help you are you an alcoholic I said no no but I was last night I think and I couldn't even run a straight line in my 40. He goes, you were a little faster a couple days ago. I said, I can't get a straight line going here. It was, it was funny. It really was. The first-round draft pick that year by the Bengals was Billy Kolar, your longtime friend, yes. still an NFL coach, had a fine career, played eight years in the NFL. But you had the longest career of anybody of those 22. Ten NFL seasons, a couple more in the USFL. How big of a point of pride is that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as a lineman, you hope to, if you can play, you hope to be – you know, reliable, dependable, accountable, all that kind of stuff. And with that comes availability is another big ability to have, reliability, accountability, availability. And um, I I did pride myself on that. I, you know, really um, high school, college, and NFL, I I tried to not not only not miss games, I tried to not miss practices if at all possible. And um, so that, that, that was a mindset of, uh, of mine from, from way back. And I think it was, you know, kind of inbred from a family trait kind of thing. You know, my dad was a, a worker guy, he never, never missed a day of work, was never sick, you know, my mom, same way. Um, so, you know, that, that was kind of the mentality. If, if, if somebody was going to employ you, you show up and you, you, you grind every day and do everything you possibly can uh, to make sure that they realize that, you know, you, they made a good decision about you or whatever. So that that was a that was a big source source of pride was you know being able to play uh, a long time and, and not miss many games mm-hmm. in so doing. 
As I mentioned, Ed Tutal-Jones was the first pick in your draft in 1974, and then you have the Steelers, who famously drafted four Hall of Famers, Lynn Swan, Jack Lambert, John Stallworth, and Mike Webster. They also signed Donnie Schell as an undrafted free agent. He made the Hall of Fame. There were six Hall of Famers in your draft. Dave Casper, the tight end with the Raiders, was the sixth. The Steelers got five of the six guys that wound up in the Hall of Fame, and honestly, that draft class probably cost you a Super Bowl ring or two. It put them over the top. I mean, no question about it. Donnie Shell wasn't even one of the 400 guys drafted. I mean, college free agent was 17 rounds in the draft in the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. Unbelievable. Tells you a lot about the culture, you know, and their ability to evaluate. Mike Webster, really good friend of mine, got to know him really well in those All-Star games. And uh, fifth-round pick, you know, at the center position. Um, yeah, they, you talk about putting the bat in the ball. Lynn Swan, who they drafted in, in the first round, he won the Senior Bowl for us. Uh, he, he caught the game-winning touchdown pass from David Janes out of Kansas, mm. quarterback out of Kansas. And we got $1,500 apiece instead of seven fifty. Seven fifty to lose or fifteen hundred to the winner. Now was popular on campus, man. As soon as I get back, that fifteen hundred went quick. We we went up to uh, Tecumseh Club TCs. That fifteen hundred went pretty fast. <laughs> One other interesting nugget about your draft, and then we'll move on to this year's draft. No quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds. Not just the first round. The first two rounds. Danny White was finally selected in the third round by the Cowboys. Right, and the Bengals took one, as I recall. Mike Barilla was taken by the Bengals in the fourth round out of Stanford. Um, so, you know, he felt like, you know, I'm one of, the, one of the highest guys selected in the draft, even though, you know, it's a fourth-round selection. Uh, but again, um, you know, be closer to a third-round selection in today's football with the more more teams, um, you know, participating in, in the draft. But that, that was interesting, and... That, I wonder. I wonder how many will be taken in, in this year's draft. You know, I mean, it's Willis is 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 mind-boggling to me. The quarterback from Liberty. I've seen him in mock drafts as number two. I've seen him at 32, and I've seen him out of the first round, mm-hmm. and not even drafted in the first round. So, it just goes to show you this year, boy. Everybody's opinions are all over the board about a lot of different guys. All right, we turn to this year's draft. We had lunch last week with our friend John Burns and his son Johnny. Right. We were discussing the draft, and at one point, you gave a detailed scouting report from watching tape of Nebraska center Cam Jurgens, who was projected to go into the second round. And I thought to myself, how many guys do you study, and do you put a particular emphasis on offensive linemen? Uh, I, will, I will look at, at, uh, at offensive linemen um, because if you're looking at one, if there are any other prospects on that in that you know offensive line, or if you're looking at a defensive lineman, there's an offensive lineman that's a prospect. I mean, it's uh, it's easy for my eye to go that way. Um, but but this guy to me is the Linderbaum of the second round. I think he's I think he's pretty pretty talented kid. I mean, he's a tight end. He was the number one recruit. He played high school football in Nebraska as, as well as going to University of Nebraska. He was the number one recruit. Um, out of high school at Nebraska. He was the seventh tight end in the country uh, recruited by Nebraska, but they, they moved him to center. And here's a guy that won the state shot put championship three times, won the discus championship four times, put the shot 63 feet six inches, threw the discus over 196 feet. It's like, dude, this guy's got some, some power, some strength. He's got big, strong hands, you know, as a result of that. Um, and I know 
I did that. I, I put the shot in through the discus, and I know that helped me. I know that helped me. I know it helped me with balance, with body control, with overall strength, you know, particularly hand strength and stuff. You know, you got a 12-pound object in your hand that you're controlling. And he threw, he, he put the shot in college in Nebraska, 16-pounder, over 56 feet, I think, something crazy like that. I, th- this guy has got, and he's got 33-and-a-half-inch arms. He's got long arms. He's got long arms, strong hands. I'm thinking, hmm, hmm. you know, that might not be that bad a scenario if, uh, if in fact, you know, he's – a lot of people have him rated second, third round, late two, early three. I mean, you know, the Bengals obviously, if they wait till the third round, he still might be there. I'm not sure they'd take him, uh, you know, at, at, at the late second round. If they wait till the late third round, he could be gone. So, you know, it's like, geez, maybe they'll take him with a late two. Or if they trade down, Dan, and get an extra second-round pick, like uh, they won't get an extra second. They, if they trade back, which I think is a high, high percentage, since 2017 they've done it four out of five drafts. The only draft they didn't is they, they drafted a, a wide receiver that uh, was pretty good. You know, this guy can play. <laughs> T. Higgins. T. Higgins with the 33rd pick in the draft. They stayed there and took him. Uh, I just think that there's a strong chance that – Somebody's going to try to come up and grab one of those quarterbacks late, you know, and, and say, well, he's, it could be one taken at 32, got to get up to 31 to get him. Let's, let's move up. Let's get the fifth year. We've talked about this before. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a possibility. And, um, you know, the way they're paying cornerbacks, wide receivers, these guys are making $20 million in, case, in some cases. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you want to have a, one of those guys – the fifth year, so would the Bengals at sure. 31, and they wouldn't trade back if they've got somebody identified that I want. I want for salary cap reasons. I mean, shoot, the way all these guys are getting paid, what the heck? You might as well. You want that extra year, although you know if you have a great player, you're not going to get to that fifth year anyway. You're going to start negotiating with him, you know, after his third year, and probably get a, an extension done uh, before he even starts his fourth year. But it's good to at least have that as as a viable situation for your finances and, and, and prorating your bonus over X number of years and be able to prorate it and push it out, kick the ball down the, you know, mm-hmm. down the road as far as you can. Um, so it, it's, it, it's going to be interesting, but I, I think I like Cam Jurgens. I, I think he's, he's a pretty darn good player at the center position. He, but, he gets to the second level because of his feet. You know, mm-hmm. as a t- he gets to the second level pretty darn well. All right, I want to get to Tyler Linderbaum in a second, but since you were talking about trading back, a lot of people have asked me about it in recent weeks, and I've said I don't think they'll do it. I think there's going to be somebody on their board much higher than number 31 on their board, and they're going to want to make that pick and get that guy. But I'll admit that you've got me thinking that it's more likely than I have been envisioning for a couple of reasons. One, the last time they traded out of the first round, was 1989 coming off the Super Bowl. They moved back eight spots in a trade with Atlanta. They wound up taking running back Eric Ball, who still works for the team uh, with a second-round draft pick. And let's face it, at 31, there's going to be a pool of guys there that they have kind of been thinking, all right, these are the guys most likely to be there at 31. And if several of those names are still available and they can move back a certain number of spots where they're still assured of getting one of those guys and pick up an extra third or fourth round pick, 
that seems like something they would be very inclined to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Duke talked about buckets of players, and I think the buckets are big because, I mean, there's not a consensus on the first pick of the draft, who it's going to be. Never mind the best player at each position. I mean, there's, there's debate and dialogue with all of it. So that tells me that, you know, you have a bunch of players that are pretty equal in terms of evaluation. So it's not like there's a bucket from the first round to the mid-first round and then another bucket from mid-first round to end of first round, then another bucket. I think the buckets go. It might go from mid-first round to beginning of third round, you know, and, and there would be a lot of players in that bucket. So if you can pick up let's, – let's say, for example – the Jets have two first-round picks. They're going to use those. They have two second-round picks as well. I think it's 35 and 38. Say the Bengals, say the Jet, or the Jet, you know, the Jets uh, call and say, you know, we want to, we, we didn't go quarterback um, with those top two top ten picks. We're thinking, no, we might, we might, you know, before the end of the first round, just take a flyer on one of those guys. Um, if you go to the formula. The Bengals would get another – they get their fourth-round pick, and they get a fifth as well. In my mind, from the second round to the fourth round, even mid-first round to the fourth round is a sweet spot of the draft. As many picks as you can get in those rounds, get them. And they don't have any extras. Their only extra pick this year is in the seventh. Exactly. And if they can get an extra fifth, I mean, they're edge rush guys that I think they're different – caliber quality of guys but there's an edge guy that if you get the Jets earlier fourth round a fifth round pick than yours at the end of the fifth round you have a top 10 fifth round pick you might be able to get an edge guy doubling down if you took one earlier take another one in the fifth Mm -hmm. Um, you know it's going to allow you to double down at corner easier you could take one in the third and the fourth round if you get a extra fourth round pick for example Um, if you didn't take one in the first round cornerback might be one of the Players that they stay at 31 and say we're gonna we're gonna take the cornerback that uh, the best cornerback available, particularly if one slides. It's gonna be very interesting. I think there's depth at corner, there's depth at edge rush guy. Um, I, I I could see them evaluating a three technique. If one of those guys from Georgia for some reason slides down mm-hmm. that far, they have to be in that bucket. So I mean, you gotta you gotta figure if Booth is there and. Uh, Kair Elam is there, and George Karloftis is there, and Dax Hill is there, you know, um, and, and then Devontae Wyatt is there. <laughs> that's, that's five right there where you're thinking, wow. I mean, I, I, I might be able to uh, – do I take one of them? Or if somebody is going to give me a call and I don't have to move back, down, back that far, and I just picked the Jets just to – because they had two. And I'm thinking, you know, they, they may decide – Okay, let's let's move up and use one of our third and our, our second and uh, uh, fourth round picks and or our second round picks move up, give up a fourth and a fifth because they have a bounty of of uh, draft picks. I just use them as an example. There are others. It's going to be very interesting. I, I think it is. It's going to be a, a very very interesting draft. And I think you know Duke's going to be by the phone right up until the last minute evaluating calls to come in. Who's, who's offering me the, be, the best deal? How far back do I have to go? How many people do we have in this bucket where I can – I don't want to go back, you know, ten spots if i only got four in the bucket and rolling the dice. I heard Bill Polian on uh, 
Solly's uh, radio show, XM Sirius Radio, NFL Radio, and uh, and he said his experiences are, if you move back and you only have two guys that you feel comfortable moving back, eighty five percent of the time they're gone. Mm-hmm. They're gone. So, you know, you do you do you, you do have to play a sound numbers game, and you have to have a really good feel for what everybody is going to be taken or expected to take before you get that pick you're moving back to it, that's for sure. All right, let's circle back to Tyler Linderbaum because he has been the most commonly mentioned name in the various mock drafts, including some of the most prominent draft gurus out there. How good is Tyler Linderbaum, in your opinion? I think he's a very good football player. You know, I think he's, he's outstanding, actually, in my opinion. I think he's, uh, he finishes as well as uh, anybody. I mean, finishing blocks, um, his lateral movement, I've seen the guy be able to reach a three technique. Now, you know, the center of the right guard, the three technique is on the outside shoulder of the right guard. And Tyler Lindebaum can go laterally down the line of scrimmage to get position to block that guy on the outside of a guy one removed from him uh, at the line of scrimmage. So he's, he's extraordinary with his footwork. And the thing that I like about him, you know, he, he has the short arms. There's no way to get around that. 31 and a half or whatever it is. And he's under 300 pounds. Right. And, and he's, he's 293 or whatever he is, 296, whatever the heck he is. But the dude was a state wrestling champion. So he knows how to operate in a box. He knows how to operate in tight quarters. He understands leverage. He understands, you know, body mechanics. His pad level is always low. You know, he, he, he's got a lot of traits that can overcome the short arms. And he's done it. I mean, he's played at a really high level. He's he's captain, you know, of the football team. He he fits he fits all those uh, all those kind of things. They say you know they say he's a he's a great kid. I, I would it, it sounds like he's one of those guys that you know would would just assume you know bite your arm off like a Tim Crum. I'd love to see Linderbaum and Tim Crumry in a rookie camp going against each other. <laughs> it would be two wrestlers, you know, that are fierce competitors, fight to the finish. Who's going to finish who? Um, I, I think he's got that type of, uh, you know, that type of play to him. I mean, what pro football focus, the, the highest rated center they've ever had. Correct. And I think he's the highest rated in what, the last 10 years, I think I read somewhere, by, you know, taking all these different uh, scouting department or, or scouting services that different teams use. He's the highest rated one. So, I mean, the, the kid can play. And, and let's face it, a guy who I really respect <laughs> as a football man, Paul Brown, first guy he picked was a center because he had a very simple explanation two people handle the football every snap the quarterback and the center and I, I want to have that battery solidified I want to have the center and I want, want to have a quarterback so uh, it, it, it does make a lot of sense and um, you know you have to have an intelligent guy Lindenbaum is, does a great job with the calls and identifications and all the things that go on there and um <laughs> One of the highest compliments, maybe if not the highest I ever got, was when Blair Bush blew his knee out and missed, uh, didn't blow it out totally, but missed like four games. And Bob Johnson had already lost a bunch of weight in retirement, and they were thinking about bringing him back. They brought him back to snap for field goals and extra points. They had me play center, and I'd never played it. High school, college, or NFL, never played in a game. I had taken some snaps in practice, tried to get ready for it, but I, I really. It, 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 
for whatever reason, I meshed. It, it worked for me at center. And one of my all-time highest football compliments was Paul Brown coming up to me in the locker room and saying, congratulations, young man. I think center might be your best position. You played outstanding football for us. I was mm. like, I was maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so you, 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 just, you just never know. And, and that's why, I mean, a, a guy that's performed like that for a, you know, a bunch of snaps, a bunch of games at Iowa, he's played hurt, he's tough, really good player. But, you know, the, obviously the, the knock that uh, you, you can have on him are sh- two things, short arms and no position versatility. Those are the two things that people are going to, you know, uh, harp on, I guess. Mm-hmm. The last time the Bengals drafted an offensive lineman who became a pro bowler was Witt, Andrew Whitworth in 2006. Mm-hmm. Now, Andre Smith had a long NFL career, certainly wouldn't call him a bust. Uh, Jonah Williams is certainly doing well. You know, he's a solid starter. Hopefully he can blossom still into a pro bowler. But there have been some notable misses, obviously. Cedric Obwehi, Billy Price, both first-round draft picks who didn't pan out. Any theories to why it's been so long since the Bengals drafted an offensive lineman who lived up to, uh, you know, that status and became a pro bowler? Yeah, it is it is it is a crapshoot. I mean, I think if you look at uh... – you look at all the offensive linemen over those same years that were drafted in the first round and the number of them that panned out to be, you know, Pro Bowl-type players, it's just such an inexact science, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's all kinds of elements, all kinds of factors involved. Um, sometimes uh, a, a, guy, a guy has better coaching in college than he had in the NFL. I'm not saying that's the case with what's happened with the Cincinnati Bengals, but for whatever reason, the guy responded to coaching and techniques or whatever in the college level, and he got to the National Football League, and he didn't. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of a guy not being able to, able to adjust to the next level of competition. And it's, it's funny how if you've, your whole life, you've been able to win, you know, battles, individual battles, win a lot of games and win your matchup, then all of a sudden you get to a situation where, well, that's – I think Jackson Carmen's going through that a little bit. I think in, in, in high school and college, he was a man amongst boys. Now he's a man amongst other men. Mm-hmm. And there's a little adjustment there. So, you know, hopefully that he's, – he's learned that. He's experienced it for a whole year. And now he's, you know, learned the techniques for a whole year. And a lot of guys make that adjustment uh, in, in from year one to year two. It's like, wow, it's a totally different guy. And if they don't, it's like, mm, boy, how, how's their career going to pan out? So, yeah, there's so many variables to it and so many factors involved. Um, it's, never, it's never just one thing, you know, for, for every guy. It's not, it's not just, oh, well, he, didn't, he lacked this or he lacked that. It's, it's weird how it, it's, there's a lot of pieces, and if, uh, <laughs> if all the stars don't align, sometimes it can be, it can be a disaster or a mess. That's why it's... It's such an inexact science. I mean, man, it's there's there's uh, actually there, there's very little science to it. I think you know it's a uh, there's there's a lot of environmental things. There's a lot of things that go into it. That's for sure. So most of the mock drafts that don't have the Bengals selecting Linderbaum have them taking a cornerback. From 2006 to 2016, they took a cornerback in the first round five times in ten drafts. How likely is it, in your opinion? that the 31st pick in the draft is a cornerback? I think it's very likely. You know, I think that um, 
you know, if if you look at it, uh, the the way the if if the if the Bengals attack one side of the football in free agency, they normally attack the other side in the draft. So mm-hmm. you know, like the last last two drafts were offensive orientation because the defense was addressed so heavily in free agency. Offense was addressed addressed heavily in free agency. Hayden Hurst, the three linemen, um, you know, that's 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 a big big expenditure and a big big focus on improving up front for the Cincinnati Bengals offense. You know, I, if I'm if I'm a defensive coach, I'm thinking two of our, two out of our first three picks should be on the defensive side of the football. Um, you know, maybe even all three of them. <laughs> you might be thinking if you're a defensive coach. I, I think that it makes sense that uh, that the cornerback position would be like Duke Tobin said. You know, you don't have to be a, basically. I'm paraphrasing or you know interpreting. Um, you, you don't have to be a football Einstein to realize they need cornerback help. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if a guy like Andrew Booth is there, I don't see how they how they don't do it potentially. Uh, Kair Elam. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting. I, I think I think if they if they trade down though, I still think they can get a good corner, um, and if they can get a, still get a decent corner and pick up an extra fourth round pick in the in the top ten of the fourth round, make that deal if that deal is there to be made. So you mentioned Andrew Booth and Kyir Elam. Booth is from Clemson. Kyrie Elam is from Florida. Right. A couple of the other names that, that come up are Kyler Gordon, Gordon from Washington, right. Roger McCreary from Auburn. Everybody seems to think that Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, and Trent McDuffie will be gone. Right. So let's say Elam and Booth are gone. Gordon and McCreary are still there. Is that the scenario where you say at that point trade down, you'll still probably be able to get one of those guys? Yep. Yeah, I think, I think if, if you trade down to still top of the second round, I, I think you can still get get those guys. I, th- I think they're mid two guys. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not saying you wait to. I, they're gone by mid two, but I think they're I think they're you know second round uh, more second round kind of guys. Uh, and and then you know I mean, a guy, a guy that this is further down the road, and you saw this guy, and you know I'm thinking five eight, 174 pounds. Marcus Jones from Houston though. That dude is physical, man. He 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 plays, and he's got nine returns for touchdowns, six kickoff returns, three punt returns. I'm looking at that and saying, eh. mm-hmm. I mean, you get get a little double dip award. I mean, uh, <laughs> he he won the Paul Horning Award, most versatile college football player, position versatility. Mike Hilton, you know, gives you that. This he, this guy could be like a, a backup to what Mike Hilton uh, can can provide for you a little bit, um, and then, you know. We're we're not even talking about three techniques. I mean, if if like I said, if uh, if Devonte Wyatt is there, I mean, you gotta you gotta, you gotta think about that bad boy, and then and then later on, if you d- trade down into the second round, a, a guy like Perry and Winfrey out of Oklahoma, big big body, long arms, man, he's like he's a little stiff. His lower body's pretty stiff, but man, I'm telling you, man, when you've got a guy, my I hated guys. They could lock out those big arms, and it was like you were blocked in an octopus, and you could never get to their body, you know. Mm-hmm. And this this guy has that type of look. When I, you know, you watch him on tape, it's like, dude, this this guy is a is a big old beast. I mean, I don't know. You start thinking about uh, Trey McBride in the second round at tight end, not a first round. I wouldn't go thirty one, 
But if you trade back, you go with the best tight end in, in a lot of people's mind. Trey McBride is a as a tight end potentially. I mean, there's a, there's places they can go for sure. Um, and I've got, I've got you know ed, well edge rushers. Yeah, people edge rushers are so important because the best way you can improve your secondary, the quickest way you can improve your secondary is is get a better pass rush and make them have to cover for less time. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line because it's in this league now, the way teams use personnel groupings, formations, uh, sophistication of all the personnel, and the way they'll switch, change tempo on you, sometimes you can't roll guys in there. But when you can roll guys in there, you've got to because – in the NFL, in the fourth quarter of some games, it looks like seven on seven. The pass rush is gassed. Mm-hmm. And it's like you don't have offensive and defensive linemen. It's just, you know, you, you got linebackers and secondary people covering backs and tight ends and receivers. And they, they can't, it's impossible to cover that long. So if you can have, you know, literally too deep at every rush position you have and roll guys in there. You can never have – not only it used to be you can never have enough good cover guys. You can never have enough good corner. Now you can never have enough good cover guys, and you can never have enough good rushers. So Bengals address that edge, 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 pass, rush, edge pass rush. If the best guy available, if you do trade down, is an edge guy, or if the best guy available at 31 is an edge guy, if Karloftis is there at 31, I'd take him. I'd take him. Mm-hmm. He's a bigger version of the H-boys. You know the energy, the enthusiasm, the the doggedly determined. You know, never quit. Gonna play. Uh, my motor never stops running. That's what this guy is, and he's a, he's a a bigger version of it. It'd be Special K meets H Boys <laughs> <laughs> with Karloftis. Is safety in play at thirty one? Specifically, if Daxton Hill from Michigan or Lewis Seen from Georgia is there? Boy, that 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 would be interesting because I I do think those type of safeties. Are, are what Lou Anarumo is looking for because they can play slot as well. I mean, they both have extreme position versatility. Seen will knock your teeth loose. There's no doubt about it. Um, and Hill is he, he's gifted. He's a talented kid. If they take one of those guys in the first round, is the handwriting on the wall that Jesse Bates will not get an extension before July 31st? Uh, that's, that's a <laughs> you know you, you'd, you'd have to wonder. You'd have to wonder about that, um, and, and that would that might be a factor in whether you go there or not. Um, and you might say, okay, well, these guys obviously they're worthy of the they're in the bucket for the thirty-first uh, pick, but we have other guys in the bucket too. Uh, do we have a bigger need than safety? Well, it, the big variable is not if we sign Jesse Bates, but if we don't sign Jesse Bates, we have a huge need. So that that one's very very interesting. If, if a pick like that is made. Um, but if you trade back and one of those guys is there, if your board said that, uh, you know, Hill and Seen are much better than what's there, trading back into the 40s, I mean, into the higher 30s, you're going to pull the trigger, you know, there's no doubt. How about guard? Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green, those are two names that are kind of mentioned in that. 20 to 30 pick in the draft range. Uh, should the Bengals pull the trigger on one of those guys if they're there? Well, the thing is, you know, a lot of mocks that you look at, they're not there, you mm-hmm. know. So if they're there, I mean, they got to be in the bucket. They got to be got to be guys that uh, that you have to think about because they're they're very 
very proficient. I mean, they're both. It, it's interesting though. A lot of these, a lot of these linemen, and uh, you know, I, I'm going to put um, Raymond, the big kid from Central Michigan, Bernard Raymond, uh, from Norway, Denmark, wherever he's from. Mm-hmm. He was a tight end initially, and, and he's moved into tackle. He's another one. A lot of these guys overextend. You know, they, 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 they lean. They, they, they almost dive sometimes. It's like for as athletic, athletic as some of these guys are, they're on the ground a lot, you know. But a guy like Frank Pollock could correct that very quickly, I think. That's a very, very fixable uh, technique to be taught, mechanics to be taught, uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, th- those guys are in the bucket. But in my mind, you, you have your bucket, and then you have your need bucket. <laughs> so... You have, like you, you've got the bucket of players on your big board, and then you have your needs. And after what you did in free agency, you're getting a couple of inter- actually three interior, uh, uh, well, three, two interior and one on the edge offensive linemen. Uh, both have position versatility in, in, in terms of one can play both guards. You know, he can, Kappa can play right or left. He's a predominantly a right guard. And, and you get, uh, you know, uh, a, a guy that can play center and left guard and right guard. He's played. He's played all for the New England Patriots and and uh, Miami Dolphins. Ted Karras. I mean, you've got some versatility there. I, I just. I just think if <laughs> if the Bengals took a guard at thirty one, I think the defensive coaches would have mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> It's only happened once in team history with Kevin Zeitler, so we know the history in not taking uh, guards in the first round. Right. Right. And and if they. You know, if they move back, it it would have to be. You know, there's there's a very very slim chance I think they go that that route until later in the draft. And there's good ones to get later in the draft. Bernard Raymond, by the way, is from Austria. Austria, the offensive lineman who played at uh, Central Michigan. His offensive line coach is now the offensive line coach at UC. Mm-hmm. Interesting hire for uh, Luke Fickle and the Bearcats. So you've touched on this. Who is the guy? that if he's there, unexpectedly, the Bengals jump for joy in the draft room and rush to the podium to make that pick? For me, it's Carl Loftus. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he's there, I've seen him. But again, with him, I've seen him at 15. I've seen him at the end of the first round. I've seen him not, not drafting the first round. I mean, there's no, there are such diverse opinions on a lot of these, a lot of these top prospects. I mean, he's basically... The, in a lot of uh, people's estimation, the fifth edge rush guy. You know, they've, they've got others uh, rated ahead of him. And I can understand from an athletics standpoint, but he is athletic. He's not a freaky athlete like some of these edge guys are, but he is he's very well put together, uh, very, mus- very muscular, very uh, muscular in his lower body and legs. Uh, he's, he's, he's a tough kid. His, the, thi- the thing that you look and he'll he caused a lot of pressures, didn't finish as many sacks as you'd hope, didn't convert to sacks, so he didn't finish them uh, at the level that a lot of the other guys did, maybe because of that's a little bit of the athleticism. But, man, I'll tell you, this guy just plays so damn hard, you know. I just every single, every single play that you watch him on tape, oh, my gosh, man, he's emptying the old effort bucket and I, I – that, that's a guy that uh, I, th- I think would, would help on the edge. And he's got some position versatility to him, too. You can kick him inside. They kick Sam Hubbard inside. He's a bigger bigger guy physically than, than, than Sam is. So I, that, that's one that, uh, 
that's one that I'd I think about running to the up to the table with. That's for sure. And maybe Devontae Wyatt right behind that, the well, interior defensive lineman from Georgia. Best three technique in the draft. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a, he's a freakazoid. I, I think I think you know potentially both of the interior <clears throat> defensive linemen for Georgia could be gone. Georgia's defense. I mean you look, they're all first round draft picks. It's unbelievable. Seeing and just an incredible hitter and just he'll loosen every tooth you have in your mouth. He's incredible. All right, we're going to get to ask lap questions that came in on Twitter momentarily. But first, this is always one of the most downloaded podcasts of the year because of your history in predicting who the Bengals select in the first round. It's going to be tougher this yeah, year at number 31. 30 picks ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you had Kevin Zeitler when everybody else was saying David DeCastro. You had Tyler Eifert when people were predicting that the Bengals were going to take a safety that year. You had John Ross a few years ago where defensive line was the most – common prediction so here we go with the 31st pick in the 2022 nfl draft the cincinnati Bengals select i think they uh they there's a trade the commissioner takes an envelope <laughs> <laughs> and there's a trade and I, I i do think there's a very very strong chance that they consummate a trade and uh you know and, and trade back with the, with the pick duke's done it you know many times with this this number pick, 30s to 40s kind of mm-hmm. kind of scenario, um, and it would not surprise me because I do think that, like we talked about, the bucket will be big. The bucket's going to be good sized, um, and if you can pick up an extra fourth and fifth round pick for moving back six spots, I think I think you do that in a heartbeat. But if if not, I mean, I don't know what. It's so hard to think what corner might be there. I'd probably lean toward the the corner position. I mean, like I said, if Karloftis is there, obviously that's a that's a that's a big uh, a big no brainer. But I, I my my first would be Andrew Booth if he's there, and then uh, Kair Elam if he if Andrew Booth's not. I mean, if they're both gone, <laughs> I don't know I don't know what I I don't know what I'd do at that point. I'd you know I'm not sure I'd stay. With the, uh, with the corner position at that point in time. I think I might move on. So Kyler Gordon from Washington doesn't do it for you at number 31? I, I don't think I'd go there at 31. He'd be a huge candidate moving back, though. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's, he's a – you know, the, 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 thing, the thing about, uh, about Booth, let me make sure I'm not speaking with a uh, forked tongue here. One penalty in three years. One penalty – so here's a guy that understands hand placement, understands technique, isn't sloppy, you know, with with uh, with those uh, type of situations, um, you know. It, it, to compare that, Kair uh, Elam, seven penalties in ten games last year, four defensive holdings, two pass interference, sloppy hand, you know. Uh, it, that's so that's why you know a guy like Booth has been coached at a really high level, obviously, at Clemson. Not not that you know. Elam's not, um, but he, you don't want to give things away. You don't want to give plays away by penalty, by mistake. And, and you know, Booth, Booth has done a phenomenal job, you know, in, in that regard. And um, he, hasn't been, he hasn't been beaten, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how many touchdown passes he, he gave up. Over, none last year. None last year over his career. It was a zero last year. And he's, he's, uh, he's obviously – he was a five-star coming out of high school. 
I mean, he's very fluid when you watch him. And he's got very quick feet, but they're totally under control at all times. I mean, he's he's really uh, he's got excellent ball skills. He tracks the football exceptionally well. A lot of these guys were high school receivers, you know, so or played both ways. So they just have excellent ball skills, can track track the football, uh, can trace routes. You know, I mean, they're it's it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty deep class at the at the corner position. So our thoughts are pretty similar. Here's what I'll say for my prediction. Booth, if he's there. Yeah. Followed by Elam, if mm-hmm. he's there. Followed by Linderbaum, mm-hmm. if he's there. And then the fourth choice, if they don't trade down, would be Gordon. So that's my prediction. Booth, if available. Elam next. Linderbaum third. Gordon fourth. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 all, that all makes, uh, you know, makes sense. The only, I guess the only thing if if for whatever reason a run is not made on edge rush guys that that you anticipate to be there heck you've seen more than one mock draft where edge guys are the first three guys taken in the draft you know and and how about if uh if 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 a quarterback running back or receiver is not taken in the top 10 picks you know some people are saying that's going to be the case the, the, the receiver group, though, I I can see a quarterback definitely not being taken in the top ten. I can definitely see a running running back not, not going the first round again. But a receiver to not go in the top ten, this group of receivers, I, I don't I don't think I necessarily see that. But it just goes to show you that people are anticipating and expecting, you know, a run on these important defensive positions, these edge guys, these corners, and um, and, and these safeties that have position versatility. They can kick inside and play some nickel. Lou Anarumo loves that, that that aspect of it, that concept. And the offensive tackles will go high too. Yeah, the tackles will go high. The ones that are, you know, are premier, they're they're definitely going to go high. They're, they'll be out of the out of the mix quickly. All right, I shine the uh, ask lap bat signal into the Cincinnati sky. We got a bunch of questions submitted via Twitter. Are you ready? Here All we right. go. First question comes from. Mark, how much of a problem is short arm length for an NFL center? Again, um, you know, it, it, it all depends. If, if a guy has been drafted into the National Football League and he's got short arms, he's had short arms his whole life. They didn't shorten when he got, <laughs> when he got to the NFL draft. And for him to be drafted into the NFL, he's overcome it in, at the high school and collegiate level. And, and that's what Linderbaum um, has been able to do with his unbelievable lateral mobility and his, and his quick feet. Um, you know, if you, can, if you can square up on a guy and you don't have to reach, short arms aren't as big an issue. If you're a step behind and you have to start, that's where long arms can compensate for, you know, a, a lack of excellent feet. If you've got a guy that's got it all, got tremendous feet and got – you know, good length to his arms. You got you got a hell of a prospect, but if you've got one that uh, is deficient in one area, usually he's made up for it by being able to compensate with uh, excellence in another. So, it, it's it's a factor. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 a little bit of an issue. As long as he doesn't, the the one thing that Billy Price did to compensate for his short arms was lean, trying to lengthen his arms by leaning. You can't. You can't, you can't. And Linderbaum is such an excellent wrestler. He welcomes being in, in a phone booth. He welcomes that close contact. 
He's, he knows how to deal with it. He knows how to handle it. Now, he, he faced good talent in the Big, 12, uh, Big Ten, but it ain't like it is in the National Football League. It's another, another cut above, and that's where you, you, know, you wonder uh, if they get up into his face like that, can he handle it like he did at the high school or collegiate level? Our next question comes from Rob. Do you think that last year's experience of having to rely on offensive line backups at a crucial stage of the season makes it likely that the Bengals will take the best offensive lineman available at 31, even if he is not seen as an immediate starter? No, I think, I think that the way they're thinking that um, with the second, fourth, and sixth round picks last year's draft – that they had to use and Prince that had been, you know, they picked up earlier, he had to play. I think they feel like those guys are going to be advanced this year after having a year of coaching, a year of understanding what it takes to play in the National Football League. In some cases, a a year of quite a few snaps, in Prince's case, obviously. In the others, maybe not quite as many, uh, obviously, Jackson Carmen uh, did not play as many snaps as they, as they may have projected him to play. Uh, Trey Hill had had mixed results. Um, DeAndre Smith got hurt, and and that that affected his his performance. I think he has a future. I really I think he's going to be a really a pretty good one. So I, I think that they feel like with a from year one to year two is a big development year for the offensive line. It's the same line coach, same techniques, same things asked of you. I think that they're thinking that that group is going to be a lot better this year than they were last year. The next question comes from Bengals John, and you may have just answered it. Why does it feel like guard or center is off the board in round one when it would help replace the weakest starter on the team? And I think Bengals John is implying that left guard right now looks like the weakest starting spot on the team. Yeah, and and, uh, and and we'll have to we'll have to see. And um, just because a guy isn't picked at thirty-one, doesn't mean that he's not a good player when they do address the offensive line. Because the offensive line will be addressed. I mean, you know, in in, in this draft, I, I wouldn't be upset if you go two corners, a defensive tackle, edge rusher, wide receiver, a couple of offensive linemen. That that wouldn't bother me at all. You know, I mean, um, it's to me, you got eight picks. You're gonna you're gonna be drafting a lot of players. There are gonna be good players that are gonna be drafted in the fourth round on that. uh, You know, they could have an impact on the football team. There's no question about it. Not necessarily in 2022, but draft, develop, retain has been the motto. Retaining is the tough part now. <laughs> the way the salaries are going crazy, mm-hmm. the way everybody's being paid so much. But drafting and developing guys has always been a big part of, uh, of what this uh, franchise is, is about. And it's not just first-round draft picks. It's every draft pick. From Governor Chief, who are the top three players you don't want the Steelers and Ravens to take in round one. I'll say it doesn't have to be three players, but are there guys that you do not want to see wind up in Pittsburgh and Baltimore in this draft? Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to see any of the uh, real talented edge guys that uh, that are going to go real early in the draft potentially, um, you know, slide and, and, and end up in, in Baltimore or Pittsburgh. Um, 
I don't want to see Carl Loftus hmm. in Baltimore and Pittsburgh. I, I, I think he's I, – I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting to him. But I think he's going to have a very, very good, uh, very good solid NFL career. Um, yeah, I, I'd say, I'd say in, in terms of uh, Baltimore and Pittsburgh, they always seem to find uh, defensive players, not necessarily first-round picks, but defensive players that fit their scheme and their system and their coaching styles perfectly. Um, there's a guy, there's a guy from Kentucky, just down the road here, three-time captain at Kentucky. As I was looking through the the defensive linemen, a, th- a, th- a three-time captain, first time in school history, had cancer on his foot, melanoma on his foot, and over he's overcome it. The dude is uh, he's athletic. You know, he's not a freak. He's a sculpted, uh, you know, sculpted kid, 6'2 265, 270. Um, a little bit tight in his lower body, though, watching him. But Josh Pascal is his name. I mean, a guy like that in the fourth round, if the Bengals get another fourth-round pick, I wouldn't be upset about that at all. Third or fourth-round guy, Alex Wright, another edge guy. Th- this guy's got uh, tremendous position versatility. Here's the thing about him. That intrigues me. 6'5", 270, 34-inch arms, 83-inch wingspan. He's got a massive tackle radius in terms of arm, long arms. And like I said, sometimes guys like that, it's, uh, it's like trying to block an op- octopus. He's got position versatility. He can, uh, he can bend. He's very flexible, very long-limbed. He's a project. He's a little bit raw. But guys like that, I mean, if they're there – in the, you know, fourth round, if the Bengals get an extra fourth round pick and early in the fourth round they pull the trigger on some, somebody like any of those guys, I wouldn't be, that wouldn't bother me at all. Governor Chief, let me throw in my answers to your questions. The guy I do not want Pittsburgh to take is obviously, been, is obviously Desmond Ritter. I've been talking about this for months. A, because I think Desmond Ritter will ultimately be a good NFL quarterback, and I don't want my hatred for the Steelers <laughs> diluted by my love for Desmond Ritter. Yeah. So it, it breaks my heart when I see uh, mock drafts that have Ritter going to the Steelers at number 20. That can't happen, just personally for me. But on a slightly more serious note, the player I do not want to wind up in Baltimore is Jordan Davis, yeah. the massive nose tackle, 6'6", 341 pounds, ran a four seven eight at that size at the combine, which is unheard of, 34-inch arms. The reason why I don't want that to happen is they were so hard to run on with Brandon Williams in the middle for all of those years. Jordan Davis is Brandon Williams, but even better. Even better. Even more athletic and and taller and longer and all those things. Yeah, I mean, he he does have Baltimore written all over him uh, as, as an interior defensive player. There's no question about it. Question from Tom. What's the strangest thing you have ever seen happen on draft day? Oh, man. The strangest thing I've ever seen happen. Minnesota forgetting to get its uh, first-round pick in in time. That, that, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a faux pas for sure. I, it, he means overall in the entire draft? or, or I think so. That's Bengals. the question. What's the strangest thing you have ever seen happen on draft day? Boy, I don't know. I mean, the, th- the thing that's interesting to watch now is to have these guys in the – the red carpet room, you know, the the, the uh, VIP room, waiting to get drafted, and and watching Aaron Rodgers slide mm. was, it was there was a cocktail of emotions there, you know, and boy did he did he ever say to the league, 
I'll, you know, I'll thumb my nose at you uh, over this one because, man, what, what was going through that guy's mind? And to be that exposed and to have all your emotions, you know, be right out there on national TV in front of everybody, that, uh, that, that's an interesting twist that they're doing by inviting guys to that VIP room like that because there's always going to be one that, you know, just doesn't happen for them. And uh, having, having, you know, gone through a draft and, and played in the league, I, it just that, that's hard. That's hard to watch guys have their hearts broken like that. I remember that happening with Thurman Thomas yeah. before the Bills took yeah. him in the second round. Question from Brian. Coming off the Super Bowl loss, how different will OTAs and training camp be? Will there be a more intense sense of urgency? You know, there, um, Zach is not having, you know, mandatory minicamp. It's just, just OTAs, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a, I think, a signal that he really believes that his team uh, is in the spirit of it and it's mature and everybody's, uh, you know, pulling the oars in the same direction. And then it's, it's uh, we, us, not I, me. So it's, I think that's, a, um, that's an interesting decision that he made. And I think it's a good one. I think that they they had a long they had the longest season in NFL history, and not only physically do you need a break, but mentally you also need to get away from it and and um, and recharge the battery both mentally and physically. So um, I think that's that's a little bit different. But I do think that it, I'm not sure that there's a sense of urgency for the OTAs, but I do think that based on the success they've had. I think that they are smart enough and aware enough to understand there's going to be a bullseye on their back now. And uh, what they did last year from a work standpoint is not going to even be enough for this year. You're going to have to ratchet it up even a little bit more. And I remember experiencing that. We won the Super Bowl in 81, had a work stoppage in 82. We only played nine games. But I remember distinctly, you know, guys talking about, look, you know, what we did last year, it ain't going to be enough this year because, man, you know, we're we're the uh, the hunted now. We're not the hunter anymore. We're the hunted, and that's what this team has to realize right now. And I think they have a pretty good pretty good idea about it. I, I do think that uh, that the the chemistry and the the culture on this football team is pretty darn strong. Our final question comes from Decline Phase. The question simply reads: Stepbrothers or the other guys. Have you seen either of those two Will Ferrell classic movies? <laughs> I have to say I have not, but I am a Will Ferrell fan. I am a Will Ferrell. Have you seen him, Dan? Well, I am the person that is well-equipped to answer this question, although I've only seen one of the two. So it sounds like I need to see the other guys if there's even a question. But when I was the radio voice of the Pawtucket Red Sox, Step Brothers had just become available on DVD. <laughs> So we watched this movie, I don't think I'm exaggerating, basically every road trip. Every road <laughs> And it is awesome. The classics, the Catalina wine mixer, Adam Scott's family singing Sweet Child of Mine in the backseat of their car, the tuxedo-wearing interviews, the sleepwalking scenes, the boats and hose video, the, the line from my chest pubes to my ball fro. <laughs> 
Step Brothers uh, is an all-time classic. Oh, My wife loves Step Brothers. Whenever it comes on TV, I'm forced to watch at least ch- a chunk of it. So if you're only going to watch one of one of the other, Take one that. or the other, go for Step Brothers. Stay pro- Step Brothers. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll keep that in in mind, and uh, I will I will probably have to look at Step Brothers sooner rather than later. <laughs> All right, that concludes this podcast preview of the draft. We'll be doing stuff throughout the draft. Look forward to seeing you late into the night on Thursday. Yeah, I hope that late night Thursday night isn't an announcement. And the Bengals have executed a trade. The trade is consummated with. (laughs) Although, honestly, I wouldn't hate it. um, But it'd be a long day for nothing, that's for sure. I'll post new episodes of this podcast after each day of the draft. They'll be available when you wake up the following morning. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.